Welcome to the podcast. Today I want to talk about education innovator Kurt Han, or Han. I've heard it pronounced both ways, so I'll be pronouncing it both ways. But anyway, he is perhaps best known as a founder of Outward Bound. Outward Bound can be seen as a manifestation of Han's innovations in outdoor education. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with Outward Bound, Outward Bound is an international nonprofit outdoor education organization that focuses on character development, leadership, and service. It serves about 70,000 students a year, and its primary activities include backpacking, canyoneering, and canoeing, as well as dog sledding, mountaineering, and whitewater rafting, in addition to rock climbing, sea kayaking, skiing, and snowboarding. Its educational philosophy is perhaps best summed up by a quote from Kurt Hahn himself, which is featured on the Outward Bound website. Quote, I regard it as the foremost task of education to ensure the survival of these qualities. An enterprising curiosity, an undefeatable spirit, tenacity in pursuit, readiness for sensible self-denial, and above all, compassion, unquote. I believe that Kurt Hand was an innovator within the field of education, and in this podcast I'll be telling you all about his background and significant life moments, how he lives up to some definitions of innovation, and how he doesn't quite live up to some other definitions. And I'll also be going over the impact and influence of his innovations pertaining to outdoor education, uh, as well as how his innovations might be used to implement school reform today. I'm not going to ask you, as the listener, to cross-reference any sources during this episode. But I am operating under the assumption that you've familiarized yourself with the timeline of historical background about Han that I put together. Uh, So if you haven't done that yet, go ahead and pause this podcast and go to www.tiki-taki.com slash timeline slash entry slash 430134 slash Kurt-Han. Once again, that's www.tiki-toki.com slash timeline slash entry slash 430134 slash k-u-r-t-h-a-h-n. So if you haven't done that yet, please pause this podcast and go check that out. Okay, I'm going to assume everyone's checked it out, like I said. I won't be referencing the timeline at any point, but I'm just going to assume that there's a basic awareness of the background knowledge about Mr. Kurt Hahn. And before I give everyone a brief description about him, I just wanted to mention that I'll be bringing up stuff that is in the timeline, even though I know you just read it. But I'll be making some connections and explaining some points that are not in the timeline. Kurt Hahn was born in Germany in 1886 to Jewish parents. There were a handful of significant events that shaped his philosophy as an educator the first of which happened when Kurt was a young man. I haven't been able to find a specific year from a reliable source, but at some point in his early adulthood, Hans suffered from a really bad sunstroke, and it left him permanently disabled. 
So he would study educational philosophies and further develop his own philosophy during the long periods of time in which he was recovering from the sunstroke. Um, he used his personal hardship as a sort of inductive lesson to develop one of his fundamental aspects of the educational philosophy that he espoused, which was, quote, your disability is your opportunity, unquote. One of the other significant aspects of Hahn's philosophy was the idea that Adolescents had an innate decency that was corrupted by society and the conveniences associated with industrialized life, especially methods of mechanized transportation. Another aspect of Hahn's philosophy was the notion of inclusion and expansion. As another side note, I'd just like to mention that the biography I read dealt directly with Hahn's innovations related to outdoor education. So this podcast will be addressing innovations in that field. But it is worth pointing out that he also founded the United World College of the Atlantic in 1962 as an international baccalaureate degree program that Hahn envisioned as a sort of United Nations of adolescent education. True to Hahn's values of inclusion and expansion, there are now 15 schools all over the world that are part of the United World College's system. But to go into that would require going beyond the scope of this podcast. So with that said, I'm now going to discuss some of the significant aspects of Kurt Hand's life. The first is the founding of the Salem School in 1920 in a castle in the state of Baden in southern Germany. The school ultimately expanded to include four other branches. The school was, however, effectively shut down temporarily on March 11, 1933, when Hahn was arrested for speaking out against the Nazis. Shortly after this, he would flee to Britain. Another fairly significant event that influenced Han occurred sometime between 1923 and 1930, when a guy named Wilhelm Schmidl was the director of studies at the Salem School. And it helps to have a little bit of context for this one. So shortly after the First World War, athletics and sports gained an increasingly significant role in German education. And so anyway, one day, sometime between 1923 and 1930, Hahn discovered the importance of expeditionary tests to develop all-around character in ways that athletic sports could not. And this happened, so one day Salem faced off against their rival school, Biberstein. And despite having the home field advantage, Salem lost to Biberstein, and Biberstein displayed what Schmidl considered excessive fuss. So the next day, Schmidl took boys from both the teams on an excursion of the local hillsides. And although Schmidl was 70 years old, the adolescent athletes were unable to keep up with him. And so this influenced Tom to see the importance of these types of activities that would expand to eventually include bicycle tours, overnight camping, and geological excursions that involved tracking up and down those same hillsides that the athletes had trekked up and down with Wilhelm. Another significant event that happened around the same time was the Finnish expedition. And unlike the story with Wilhelm Schmidl, we have an exact date for this. This happened over the summer of 1925, and it was led by two teachers from the Salem School, Marina Ewald and Otto Bauman. Ewald and Bauman took 20 students on a four-week-long sailing expedition to Finland. According to Ewald, quote, because of its success, Kurt Hahn therefore attached the greatest importance to expeditions, carefully planned beforehand, 
and carried out with endurance. They have become an essential part of his educational program. Unquote. After this expedition, Han began to incorporate sailing into his educational programs and his educational philosophy. As I mentioned earlier, in March of 1933, Han was arrested for speaking out against the Nazi government. He was ultimately exiled and emigrated to Britain, where he began teaching. In the fall of 1934, Han opened the Gordonstown School, originally in Moray, Scotland. The location was chosen due to its proximity to both the sea and the mountains. However, in 1940, in the early days of Britain's involvement in the Second World War, Gordonstown was forced to relocate to Wales. And this was partially to protect children at the school and partially due to concerns over Han's German heritage. Shortly after that, Han implemented the Gordonstown badge, which was based on the German sports badge, but modified for British students. The badge scheme was open to all adolescents from the surrounding town. The badge presented two sets of standards. One that was, quote, within the reach of the normal boy, unquote, and one that was only within the reach of those who excelled. The badge scheme also included expedition tests in walking, climbing, animal watching, exploring, sailing, and riding. Here again we see inclusion and expansion as Han extended the program to all adolescents, not merely the students at his school. During the summers of 1938 and 1939, Han was part of two 14-day-long courses that took place in Scotland. There were both expeditions for girls and boys. The courses were based on the Gordonstown badge scheme. Han considered these courses to be the first outward-bound experiments. The next significant event was the voyage of the Prince Louis, which occurred over the summer of 1941. During this voyage, Ten Gordonstown students sailed from Scotland to Wales on the Prince Louis. Han and Lawrence Holt met the ship at its destination in Wales. At that point, they decided to start a sea school that would become outward bound. Lawrence Holt also sponsored Gordonstown students and owned the shipping company that maintained the vessels used by the Gordonstown school. As I mentioned, he co-created the Sea School with Han and promoted Outward Bound to the Norwood Report Committee members. In the fall of that year, as a result of the voyage of the Prince Louis, Han and others decided to establish Outward Bound, a program based on Han's experiences with various educational outdoor activities and badges schemes. Outward Bound currently operates 40 schools serving 70,000 students annually. Shortly after the founding of Outward Bound, a committee of education experts in Britain that had been appointed to consider changes in the national curriculum for secondary schools submitted a report to British Parliament that argued in favor of including outdoor education, and this was based in part on the success of the badge schemes that Han had advocated. This report influenced the Education Act of 1944, which called for a local education authority to, quote, establish, maintain, and manage or assist the establishment, maintenance, and management of camps, holiday classes, playing fields, playing centers, and other places, and may organize games, expeditions, and other activities. I selected Han as the topic of this podcast because of my interest and background in outdoor education. I taught outdoor education for eight years, never for Outward Bound, but 
Most of the training I received was focused on practical application instead of the philosophical aspects of outdoor education. So as a result, you know, the teaching philosophy of outdoor education plays a huge role in my personal pedagogy, but I haven't really read much about it from an academic perspective. So I started with Outward Bound because it's one of the better known outdoor education organizations, and I traced its roots back to Kurt Han. Looking at Greg Sattel's Innovative Management Matrix, which was first published in the Harvard Business Review, Han's contributions to the field of outdoor education were sustaining innovations, as they were solutions to well-defined problems within a well-defined domain. Adolescents were being corrupted by society, and Han's solutions were to be carried out in educational contexts. According to historian of technology Arnold Pacey, innovations are more likely to thrive if they function within a pre-existing infrastructure. I'd argue that, for the most part, Han's innovations seem to happen in accordance with Pacey's hypothesis. Han's initial foray into outdoor education occurred during interwar Germany, when the national curriculum required students to spend at least one day a month in educational settings that were in the outdoors. However, Han also went beyond the pre-existing infrastructure to create institutions like the Salem School in Germany and Gordonstown in Britain, and in accordance with his philosophy of inclusion and expansion, he founded Outward Bound and United World College of the Atlantic in Britain, both of which have gone international. There are approximately 40 of the former and 15 branches of the latter in countries all over the world. Hans innovation within outdoor education also fit within the burgeoning infrastructure of QR or quick response codes. These matrix barcodes were first invented by a Japanese automobile parts manufacturer in order to improve internal movement of stuff. And these codes can contain much more information than your standard barcode. And they can be easily read by smartphones. This might seem like a tangent, but a recent study in the British Journal of Education and Technology found that QR codes used in conjunction with outdoor education can increase certain types of learning. Innovation is a word like nature, culture, or technology. It's vague. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that it's something that can and definitely does mean different things to different people. With that said, Instead of searching for a universally agreed-upon definition, it might be easier to first look to people who are innovative and see how they did it and what they have to say about it. With that said, Dean Kamen, a guy who invented a successful drug infusion pump and a little gadget you might have heard of, a two-wheeled, one-person electric scooter called the Segway. Anyway, according to Kamen, quote, real value is now in the creation of ideas that are scalable, that don't consume resources, that aren't a zero-sum game, unquote. And this is according to the New York Times columnist Thomas Friedman. Kamen gives the example of a hypothetical pill that could cure cancer and argues that it would be worth a million dollars per ounce. In this way, I'd argue that many of Han's innovations are, for the most part, scalable. Spending time outside is something that can be adopted wide scale. Uh, you know, it's how human beings as a species have spent much of their biological existence. Also, uh, hands innovations don't really consume resources. They just depend on the existence of natural resources, but just really the bare minimum, just the amount needed to support life. 
you know, uh, for example, sailing in a boat obviously requires a fairly decent sized body of water. But as long as people act in a way that is environmentally conscious, people can sail on that body of water over and over and over again without depleting it in any meaningful way. But Han's philosophy didn't call just specifically for education on the lakes and in the seas. It placed emphasis on the local environment, which for him often meant the rolling hills. While he did view outdoor education as a remedy for some of the negative social consequences, i.e. the First World War, that he thought were somehow associated with industrialization, I feel like, in part, the essence of what he wanted to do could be accomplished with outdoor education in an urban context. The potential for outdoor education in an urban context is not a new idea. In Multicultural Education, the Role of Organized Camping, which was published in 1994, the author, Bruce E. Matthews, argues that outdoor education can be used to identify, quote, where a confluence of interests exist, unquote, that can facilitate multicultural education. And multicultural education involves teaching student populations that are linguistically and culturally diverse, the same types of student bodies that are often found in urban schools. It's worth noting that this abstract idea is not without a real-world support. There is a federal initiative called Engaging Students to Improve Environmental and Outdoor Education, and it has been tasked with the aim of, quote, revitalizing urban waterways and the communities around them, focusing on underserved urban communities, unquote. And that's according to the official blog of the U.S. Department of Education. There's also some local infrastructure to support outdoor education in urban schools and provide a template for its potential implementation. It's called the Downtown Denver Expeditionary School. It's a K-3 charter that intends to expand into more grades in upcoming years. Uh, it's in the next two years it plans to add a fourth and fifth grade. Um, and as its name suggests, the school curriculum is based on expeditionary learning, which means that it has some overlap and commonalities with outdoor education. For instance, the school website provides an example of a lesson on entomology, where students learn about insects in part through fieldwork that includes observing in nearby locations. I feel like Han's practice of implementing inclusion and expansion can be applied here to work with what already exists to incorporate more outdoor education into schools, and the reach of this reform could be expanded to include all students as opposed to those who are selected to be at the Expeditionary School, which is a school of choice. So there you have it, a very abbreviated rundown of the impact and influence of the innovations of Kurt Han or Han that are related to outdoor education. As you can see, in many ways he was innovative, but by some measures he perhaps wasn't. I also briefly discussed how Han's innovations could be used in modern day school reform. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast, and I look forward to hearing your feedback. Bye!